Acts chapter 21. It's on page 542 of the um, Blue Bible in the chair in front of you. If you don't have one, if you don't have one at home, if you don't have one at all, please take that as our gift to you. We just want you to read it. Start with the Gospel of John and ask questions, and we'd love to sit down with you and talk about that. But as you turn there, a um, couple of questions for you as you turn there. What does it mean to be free? We have brothers and sisters to the states that talk uh, all about freedom. Um, you know, the land of the free, they say. What does it mean to be free? What does it mean to have freedom? And in light of those questions, what does real freedom actually mean? What does it look like in the life of someone if they have freedom? I think sometimes when we look at our world, we describe and define freedom as getting to do whatever I want. Right? That's really what we do. Uh, we don't, don't, don't step on my freedoms and my rights, we say. All those sorts of things. And we will see how much more Paul treasures the gospel that he is willing to give up even something that he is free from, yet he still calls himself free. So why does he do that? What allows Paul to give up what looks like for us freedom? Because you know what? There's something I, I intrinsically hate. I, I hate being told what to do. I, I really do. Like, uh, you can talk to my parents about that. You can uh, like, just don't tell me what to do. But here Paul comes, and he gives up of his freedom. He gives up of his freedom because he's treasuring something more. But why? Why is, he, why is he giving up something that looks like he's giving up freedom? Even though he talks about it. So if you have your Bibles, if you open them to Acts chapter 21, we'll be going from 17 all the way to 26. Uh, the big numbers are the chapters, and the little numbers are the verses. So we'll be on chapter 21, starting on verse 17. The word of the Lord says this. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have, been, have believed. They are zealous for the law, and they have been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Verse 23, do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from uh, what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual morality. Then Paul took men, the and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented by each one of them. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. 
Awesome, God, we just thank you for the chance we have to come and continue to gather, continue to worship you. Lord, give us ears and hearts to hear what your word has to say. May your word convict and encourage as you so will. But Lord, above all, I pray that you are glorified. And God, I want to preach so that you are glorified. And I want to speak of you and praise you and praise your name. And although I can't make this turn out well on my own, will you not make this turn out well? So Lord, by your spirit, help me to preach the sermon as what is needed. God, I pray that you would bring glory to your name, joy to the people, and salvation to the lost. Amen. So the first thing we see here is that the gospel brings freedom from darkness. And that's what we're seeing here as we see two groups of people who are being freed from their darkness. They've been brought from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light by God's amazing grace. We see the Gentiles, and Gentiles, for our understanding, are people who are not Jews. All right, that's a simple definition. And as Paul arrives in Jerusalem, the Christians rejoice about what God has been doing among the Gentiles. God is calling all nations, all tribes to himself. And as Paul enters into, the, into Jerusalem after long travels, the Christians receive him gladly. Just another great example of what Christian hospitality is and how we are hospitable because God has been divinely hospitable towards us. But the next day comes along and there's more of a formal meeting that happens between uh, Paul and his group and also the elders of the, of, of the churches in Jerusalem. They formally meet James, the brother of Jesus, which is a fascinating thing because if we understand the gospels, uh, Jesus' brothers and his mother at one point thought he was crazy. So you see how God has even worked in James's heart. And we see that. And he had stayed in Jerusalem. Some of the apostles had kind of gone around into other cities. And he continues to shepherd the growing church. You know, some historical accounts call him James the Just, which is an amazing thing because his character of who he is has spread not just amongst the church, but just in, in the city itself. And Paul meets with James and all the other elders of the church in Jerusalem. And we'll get into this. Uh, this isn't a small group church thing this isn't a small church this is thousands of people so we're not looking at like five elders it's probably a pretty decent sized group and it would have been a lot and they gathered together in verse 19 and after greeting them with all that wonderful small talk that happens when you first meet people after a long journey hey how are you doing how are the feet you got blisters oh that's too bad you know He related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. See, what God had been doing with Paul and all of his acquaintances over the 25 to 30 odd years that he had been walking and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. What has he been doing over these missionary, this missionary journey? We've seen churches planted in Galatia, including Derby, Alestra, Iconia, Antioch, churches in Corinth, Ephesus, Thessalonica, and Philippi, all over the Mediterranean. And churches were thriving ministries in themselves. And they were too seeking to be disciples to make disciples of Jesus Christ and raising up people and sending them out. The gospel was going all over the place. And Paul just sits there and reflects upon all the amazing things that God has been doing. 
And we see how God did miracles through Paul to confirm the truths of those gospels. We've seen the lame and the crippled walk. We've seen the dead rise as Pastor Matt talked about Eutychus, poor guy who fell out of the window. We've seen the sick healed. We've seen how Paul has been freed from many situations. And all of these things bring, Paul gives an account to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. You know, and I've said this before, this is why we encourage our missionaries that we support to give reports. Not so that we can, like, hold something over them. Although there is an accountability aspect. But so that we get to reflect upon what God is doing. And what he is doing. And God is calling people who were once outside of the people of God into his family. God's plan for salvation is happening. Men and women from Judea, Samaria, Ethiopia, Syria, Cyprus, modern-day Turkey, Greece, Macedonia, Italy, are all coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, submitting to him. And this is only because God is working. Luke is very clear as he gives an account of what Paul is saying. Things that God has done. See, I listened to a pastor once who gave a six-minute speech about, and I I know it's six minutes because I went and watched it yesterday, on how he and his family built the church where they were at. No, No reference to what God had done. It showed a lot about the person's heart's if their first thing they do is point to their own success rather than give glory to the God who actually builds and sustains his church. Numbers doesn't mean success. Faithfulness and obedience does. So if it wasn't God working through Paul or anyone else, nothing would have happened and nothing matters. So Paul's very clear. This doesn't mean that numerical growth is a sign of God's work. We see that uh, if we go to Athens with Paul, Paul preached an amazing gospel presentation, and they laughed at him. But he was faithful, and he was obedient. You know, a big church doesn't mean it's a faithful and obedient church. But in this case, there has been much fruit that God has caused to grow through the watering of the seeds that have been planted. As we see in other letters, Apollos planted and Paul planted, but God gives the growth. For us, this should even give us rest and and, and a peace. It's not us that saves people. We are called to be faithful, but it's God who makes it effective. So we pray and we obey. Pray and obey over and over. And what should our response be when we hear about God calling people to himself? It should be the same. It, should, it doesn't matter if it is happening through us or, or, or some other church down the street. We're all on the same team. There's only one gospel and one kingdom, and we come to proclaim the same gospel and the same kingdom. You know, when we send our teams out, when Pastor Chris brings our teams out on, on, on Friday nights, The goal is not to fill our church, but to grow the kingdom. If there's a church that's closer to where they live, we point them there. A church that proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ, we point them there. It doesn't matter if it's happening through us or through someone else. God is calling people from the kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light, and he is moving people from objects of wrath to his children. 
So what should be the outcome of this? Praise and wonder and awe. When I hear about churches having baptisms, I don't get jealous, or some, I try not to. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Like, we all can, like, don't. God has blessed us as a church. But we should praise God for what he's doing in other churches. And he's moving people into his kingdom. To remember, to remind ourselves that God's not just using Paul, but we have other names here as well throughout Acts of God using others. Like we think of Apollos. We think of Priscilla and Aquila. We think of other accounts just in Acts of how God is using his people to grow. We just have Paul. And sometimes we can get so narrow focused and think like he was the only guy doing something. It was God using him. And God was using other people. And Paul wants to make sure that the glory goes to the one who's worthy of it all. Paul isn't the hero. God is. And that's why he's glorified. Not Paul. And we see this in verse 20. As we see in verse 28, they glorified God. Why did they glorify God? Because God alone is worthy of the glory. He alone is able to heal the broken, to reconcile sinful humanity with himself. That's why the gospel says that it is Christ who died for our sins and rose again, rose from the dead. And and it doesn't just end with the Gentiles, as we see, because James points out that even more, even the Jews. He says, you see, brothers, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. Not only is God working among the Gentiles, but God is also calling, uh, calling people from a curse of the law, as Galatians 3.13 says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Because Galatians 5, 1 says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to that yoke of slavery, he says. Last time we heard about numbers in Jerusalem was in Acts 4, 4, when we saw about 5,000 people saved. Just the men, they just counted the men. We don't know how many women and, and, let's say, young adults were. Now God is adding even more, thousands to this. And this is all a reason to praise God and to give him glory. Not only is God working among the Gentiles, but even among the Jews. I mean, the gospel is bringing freedom and calling people out of darkness, out of worshiping pagan idols, out of thinking that somehow they can be good enough to make themselves a favor favorable person in God's eyes. Look what God is doing. And he's bringing two groups of people that wouldn't have even eaten in the same table together. And he's calling them family. God is freeing people from darkness and bringing people into his kingdom. Just as John 8, 36 says, so if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. But what does that mean by freedom? You know, Jesus was obviously the most perfect example of what freedom is. And Paul exemplifies that freedom as we continue to see forward. Because in verses 20 to 26, you see how the gospel brings freedom to deny yourself. To believe in the gospel is to have freedom. To have freedom from eternal punishment, to have freedom from sin, but also 
freedom from the burden of the law, as Paul has said. And Jesus condemned even the religious leaders of their day. In Luke eleven forty six. he says, You load people down with the burden they can, can hardly carry, he says. But on the other side, Jesus promised rest for your souls in Matthew. And he said, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. In Romans 4, 15, it says, The law brings wrath. Because no one can keep the law before Christ came. We were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed, as Galatians 3 says. Paul likens our responsibility under the law to the children's responsibility to a guardian. So the law was a guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we no longer are under that guardian as Galatians 3 says. And Paul warns us not to return to that bondage either. So again, why is Paul going back? Well, what does it look like he's going back? Because is he actually going back? Galatians 5, 1 again says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So how can Paul who is free, be okay with seemingly putting himself under the yoke that Jesus freed himself. You know, some people, I, I read a few commentaries on this, and it's amazing how divided they are over this. But these are very good questions, because it seems like he's kind of contradicting himself. Because in verse 20, we see that the people that God is calling him to himself are actually in a weakened state of faith. They are zealous for the law, James says. They are people who are deeply committed to continuing the practices of the law. And you can see the issues beginning to rise. I, and I feel for James, I really do, because I, I actually kind of really understand this. Trying to navigate what is happening. Because in verse 21, it says, And they have been told about you that you teach all Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. It was a popular rumor within Jerusalem at this time that Paul was, being, was teaching Jewish Christians uh, throughout the Roman Empire to forsake all of their past. And I use the word rumor. See, because the first question we need to ask is, as we seek to understand this, is why is circumcision such a big deal for these people? And circumcision was a way of singling out it was a way in the old covenant of distinguishing who was part of God's family and who wasn't. But this is what is being missed. The Old Testament was a shadow of the spiritual realities of the new covenant that comes in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, as the Holy Spirit comes into the heart, circumcised the heart, as his word says meaning a heart that has been transformed and set apart by God. A second question is this. Did Paul actually teach this idea of giving up the law? And the answer is no. All of that Paul had taught was that we could not rely upon obeying the law in order to be saved. Because we're not saved by works. We're saved by faith. 
as Galatians 5, 2, 4 says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Saying that if that is what you are relying upon, you're casting away Christ. And that is, a, that is a judgment on all of us who think that somehow I can win favor with a holy God based upon how many people I help across the street. Or how many times I volunteer at the soup kitchen. Or how many times I babysit my neighbor's kids for free. Or whatever. The point is this, is that you can't earn your salvation. If you are a Christian, it is purely because of God's grace in your life. The gospel is that there is a holy God and we have sinned against him and our actions can only bring death and hell. A punishment that is very real and very deserved. What grace says is we have been given something we don't deserve. In the church, there's no room for some sort of entitlement or, or thought of deserving something because the only thing that we deserve is hell. That, 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 that means that there's no grace. Grace is understanding that even though we didn't deserve it, Jesus Christ sets down from his throne to pay the price for my sin, for your sin. So that anyone who believes and repents will have life, eternal life. And with that, a new creation begins. When we fully trust in the sufficiency of Jesus' death and resurrection as payment for a sin, we are saved. Not by works, but by the perfect work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, when we say we're not saved by works, what we're saying is we're not saved by my works or your works. We are saved by works in a sort of sense, in that, but it's only Jesus's. Because Jesus is the only one who fulfilled the law perfectly. He's the only one that, that his righteousness is imputed upon us when we repent and believe. And any message that goes against that, or what Paul is even talking about, or any message that says the gospel is this, plus you must do something else, is not the gospel. But saying that you can somehow work yourself into it. I would call it an anti-gospel. We do what we do because we are a distinct people who have been obtained by the blood of Christ and sealed to him by the Holy Spirit. We are a new creation, so we act as new creations. Not as a way to earn favor, but because we are different. So Paul never talked about not doing ceremonial law. In fact, he says, if you want to do it, do it. But just understand that by doing it, you don't win favor with God. We live in this world where uh, we have to, dis missionaries struggle with this, right? If what is truly the gospel and what is cultural, right? And sometimes we apply culture to the gospel rather than the gospel to the culture. And we come into situations when we say, because it's the way that I've always done it, the way that my pastor taught me how to do it, that is the way it should be. But the gospel doesn't do that. The gospel is above culture. You know, on a side note, when we see here in the church is actually a major issue of gossip and how evil gossip is. Because you see what it's doing, right? You got all the murmurs that are happening within the church in the background and it's causing division and dissension within the church. 
There's a reason why God hates gossip. Because it causes an anti-gospel. So we need to be careful of these things. And these rumors were causing division and dissension within the church. So what are James and the elders supposed to do? Like, what do we do? What do I do about this? Now, James and the elders knew that the rumors were false. They understood that, and we will see that later on because they reiterate that in verse 25. We understand that we're not saved by works. We're saved by faith. We understand that you're not doing this, but we got this issue. What are we going to do about it? But it was going to take more than just words to help persuade these weaker Christians that were believing this fake news. I hate Facebook. I know I'm on it. Someone pointed that out on me. Someone said to me, oh, you're very active on Facebook. I'm like, no, I'm not. I post pictures of my fire pit, and that's pretty much it. Uh, that's all. Like, life is great when you're sitting by a fire. Uh, and that's one of the things I love about London. I can have a fire. Um, and I probably will have one later this afternoon. So, you know. But one thing I see on Facebook all the time is how many reposts I see of fake news. <laughs> right? It's easy for rumors to spread. So how do you counteract the rumor? you got to be truthful. you got to do the truth. So that's the issue that is happening here. What then is to be done, they say in verse 22? They will certainly hear that you have come. Is this a question of compromise or seeking wisdom? And church leaders have this all the time. Do we fight on this hill or not? What hill is worth dying on? At what cost will this fight be? Will this open more opportunities for the gospel or will it cause less? When should doctrines divide and what should unity prevail? These are all wonderful questions that your elders have to deal with all the time. And all I know is that this was part of God's will, and he will use this to bring about his purpose for Paul. That's all I know. In verse 23, they tell him to take these four men who are also under a vow. They're on a Nazarite vow, Nazarite vow which is a vow that is taken in order to uh, either you're praying for something or you're praising God that he did something. And there is a period of time where you let your hair grow and you can be a hippie in the church and all that fun stuff. But then there's a time where you have to get your head shaved as a sign that the vow is over. So they ask Paul in verse 24 to take these men who have done this and for Paul himself to again go through the ceremonial act of purification. He doesn't have to. But why is he doing it? Why is he doing that? And he has to do this purification thing because he's been wandering around in the land of the Gentiles for 20-odd, 30-odd years. Probably enjoying bacon, pulled pork, ribs, all those wonderful things. I'm putting that in the script. That's not there, okay? I'm just saying. But in interacting, in him just simply going into a Gentile home would make him unclean. And he did that. We know he did that. So now he goes and he purifies himself according to the ceremonial law. That's why verse 24 says, Thus all we know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you as they say. 
but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. So what does Paul do? Does Paul go through the ceremony actions that mean nothing in the eyes of God for the sake of unity of the church? Or does he continue to move forward and fight on that hill? I can tell you what I will do. I would not be going through the seven-day process of purification. And this is why I'm not Paul. Because I have a tendency to die on every hill. Although I'm still here, so I'm good. Does he confront the weak faith of the Jewish Christians? 1 Corinthians 9.20 says this, To the Jew I become as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I become as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, he says, that I might win those under the law. James brings up this letter that was written in verse 25, and this is a reminder to those in the room who are listening and to us even to this day that we are not saved by some sort of work, but we are saved by the work of Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the law perfectly. And he takes action, allowing his actions to speak loud and clear, but also there is freedom that allows him to give of himself to these weaker Christians. And, and Paul talks about this with eating food with idols. We're allowed to eat whatever we want, he says. But we shouldn't cause our brother to stumble. So what does he call? He calls the older Christians, the more mature Christian, to submit themselves for the sake of the unity of the church. And that's what freedom looks like. That's what the gospel brings. So Paul, what are you going to do? Are you going to compromise? No, he loves the gospel, and he loves the church too much. So he says, I'm going to do this. If it means that I have to have, if, if, it, if it just means I can have a conversation with these weaker Christians, and I will be clear, these are the weaker Christians. I'm allowed to eat whatever I want, but for the sake of my, my, my Christian brothers who may disagree with that, I will give up bacon or pulled pork, or ribs. For the sake of the unity of the church. If someone wanted to continue with the ceremonial part of the Jewish culture, he says that's fine. Galatians 6, 5 says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And why does this mean nothing? How can Paul say this? Because he continues on, far, but far be it for, from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Meaning, he's nothing. Because he has the greatest treasure of Jesus Christ. And Paul is careful not to bring offense where offense is not needed. And that's where the wisdom comes in. And because of being so consumed by the gospel, he is able to be flexible in the things that aren't gospel issues. When James makes this comment, he is making something very clear. Keeping the law is not a matter of salvation in Jesus because he doesn't apply it to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles only need to worry about uh, turning from their old lives and following Jesus and seeking not to offend their brothers and sisters who are Jewish as we all should do, 
So what does Paul do? Verse 26, then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them. We don't know how he took the men. I don't know if he was grumbling the whole way there. I don't know any of this. I know he was being obedient. And I'm sure he was praying the whole time, Lord, purify my heart. Then Paul took these men. And this isn't hypocritical. This is not deceitful, but a reflection of the freedom that is in the gospel. Because of the gospel, Paul had the freedom to give of himself because he was not because he was not the greatest gift, Christ is. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not because myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. I wish we had more of a heart like that. I'll be frank. We should have hearts like this because it reflects the heart of our Lord and Savior who did not count himself anything, but added to himself humanity. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not because outside of the law, but, not, sorry, not outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak, and I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with him in its blessings. Are you starting to see the freedom that the gospel brings? For Paul, there's absolutely no intrinsic uh, redemptive value in what is being done. But he's willing to put his reputation and dignity aside and put his spiritual family first. The church was more important to him than his reputation. And Paul's heart for the church and the Jewish people who don't know Jesus was so great that he was willing to give of himself to follow through with this so that the gospel may have great inroads, that the gospel may be proclaimed even more. See, the gospel gave Paul such a freedom that he was able to say, I don't matter. His identity was so found in Christ. His identity was so sure in Jesus Christ that it didn't matter what happened to him outside of that because he was so firm in who he is in Christ. He was able to give up everything else because nothing else mattered because he was Christ's, because he was united with Christ, because his heart was circumcised as Galatians says because he was a new creation and he was able to give of himself to the Jewish Christians who were weak in their faith and Paul was willing to accommodate minor weakness and eccentricities in their character in order to bring them into a deeper walk with God we can put our identity in things like our church ministries the things that we lead. We can put our identity in our job. We can put it in all sorts of things. You know, I see this a few times, how uh, when men retire, they really struggle because their identity is so wrapped up in what they were doing. But you know where it's easier? For the men who have their identity so rooted in Christ. Even though Paul clearly teaches that w 
no one has been no one has to keep the law of the jewish ceremonies and tradition paul will show that he is still values the law even to the point of going through this purification ritual because why does he do that because the gospel has freedom to live for jesus and for the sake of the mission to bring the message about jesus to the nations i have friends of mine who have, who, who have been missionaries in countries like ukraine and turkey and that they have to do this you have to give of yourself from the simple things of eating food that you don't like although you know i i like turkey food so whatever but for the sake of the gospel right we do this in little ways we teach our children this in a little bit when you go and visit someone's house what is the lecture you tell your kids on the way you better well eat all of that <laughs> right i remember oh man i remember <laughs> this is a story. i remember uh one of the first homes we went to was uh some of you remember wanda and i love wanda i reflect on her a lot and she literally told my kids okay and some of you who have kids have been to her house know this okay she literally told my kids that you don't have to eat everything that's on the table and i said i said wanda we just told them in the car that they had to. <laughs> right? We do all things for the sake of the gospel. All things for the sake of the gospel. Just so that I may win some. Because I don't want to be in the way. I get in the way too much. And so often my preferences can get in the way of being able to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. In Romans 14, 1-4, says, As for the ones who are who is weak in the faith, welcome him, not but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables, which sucks. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. Not... And he continues on, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. This lays out how Christians are to be flexible with non-essentials for the sake of harmony and unity in the church. See, the gospel frees us from darkness. And the outcome of that is that the gospel frees us from ourselves. What does real freedom mean? What does it look like in a life to have freedom? Why did Paul submit to the request of the leaders of the Jerusalem church to publicly show his observance of the law? Because the gospel freedom frees us from ourselves. It frees us from ourselves. John Piper says in his work, don't waste your, in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, which I was reminded of this week. It was a great book I read when I was like, I don't know, 22 it really changed my understanding of what we are talking about here. He says this, Life is wasted if we do not grasp the glory of the cross, cherish it for the treasure that it is, and cleave to it as the highest price of every pleasure and deepest comfort in every pain. 
Paul got it. And that's how he was able to give of himself. He wasn't compromising. He just loved Christ more. And he had those, he never backed down. He had many conversations. You know, for us as a church, one of the blessings that God has done for us as a church that we have become a multi-generational and multi-ethnic church. You know how important it is to understand that the gospel frees us from ourselves in that? How many different traditions are expressed here? Because of God's great mercy. And if I come in here, come and swing and saying, how dare you say that or dress like that? If it's not a gospel issue, what do I cause? Disunity. The gospel frees us to serve one other, one another and to bear with one another and to sacrifice our wants and our desires for others. Well, there's brothers and sisters in this church, and I see it. That, I don't know if they know that I see it, but they will leave half their family here while they drive other people home. That's because of the gospel. They're willing to sacrifice of themselves. What does the gospel free us from? As we see first, it frees us from eternal punishment. It frees us from the power of sin. It frees us from the burden of the law. And as a side note, it also doesn't mean that you get to continue to live on in that life, by the way. Because now it's a different type of freedom to live the way that God has called us to live. Galatians 5.13 says, For we were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as the opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That's what gospel freedom is. And we see Paul doing it because he's exemplifying Christ. And he calls us to do the same thing. Paul submitted to the requests of the leaders of the Jerusalem church to publicly show his observance of the law in order to preserve the unity of the church. Why? Because gospel freedom frees us from ourselves. So next time you come up and you think that you deserve more, I want you to remind yourself of what Christ has done for you. Because he's the only one deserving of more. And he's the example. Let's saturate ourselves. Let us be consumed by the gospel. Let us get that right deep down into our heart so that we can murder that sin of pride that is always rearing its ugly head in our lives, telling us that we deserve something more than we deserve, so that we can freely serve one another, give up of ourselves. And yes, maybe that means that you might have to give up bacon. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for the reminder of the gospel and the power of the gospel. The gospel calls us out of darkness, Lord, and we thank you for that. We thank you for how your kingdom is continuing to grow and how you are calling people out of darkness and into light. Lord, but we also see that the gospel frees us from ourselves. So, Lord, I pray that we would live in light of that as new creations, willing to give of ourselves because you have given yourself for us. May we go out and declare the good news of Jesus Christ. May we serve one another with joy and not grumbling. May we be able to put aside our preferences for the sake of the unity of the brothers and sisters so that our witness may continue to grow here in this city. Lord, I pray that our witness would be effective and faithful. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Nathan, for being here.
God's word to us this morning. Church, let's stand with me as we respond to what we've heard from God's word. We praise him and we sing this song to his name. compassion see his mercy for us raise your voice and thank him see the church he's building see the lost he's saving lift your hands and praise him see his great compassion see his mercy for us raise your voice and thank him see the church he's building his precious bride by his costly sacrifice we're invited see the wisdom of his grace in the mystery of grace every age and every race we're united who are we that our Savior's church. Through all generations, to God be glory, to Christ our Savior's word. Forever and ever, to God be glory, 
today's benediction is from Jude 24-25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. You are dismissed. How could we recount the ways that you have multiplied our faith? The wisdom of your ways, the currents of your grace express in every Joys and in our 